Welcome, friends, to the trifecta of joy. What is the trifecta? Awareness, befriending your inner critic, and raising your vibration. This podcast is about you, your life, your adventure, and how to live it juicy. Our show is an invitation to help, to honor your unique life journey, have empathy for the stickiness that is your human experience, to build a space of truly loving yourself and creating presence so you can live with more joy. We're in this together, connected, sharing, and adventuring through life, even the tough stuff. So let's do it with joy, shall we? Julie, I'm so excited that you are here. I am thrilled to share with our audience the magic of you and I have so much in common. One of the questions that I ask, Julie, is before people sign up to be on my podcast, I ask in one sentence, can you explain a pivotal moment, a what the F moment? And I believe we turn our what the fucks into what's this for? And I say, can you identify a pivotal what the F moment in your life and how you turned it around to help others? This is a long-winded answer. When I was 48 years old, I was sent for a breast biopsy and I'm a twin. I'm also adopted. My twin wasn't having any kind of breast issues, but here it was. I got sent for the breast biopsy. I came home and my husband was sitting in his office and he said, it's time. You got to get at this. You have got to find your medical history. And an argument ensued (laughs) because his timing was terrible. Here I am coming from this biopsy and he was putting this ultimatum on me. So that was the first WTF moment because what happened was within the course of five years, I went through this whole adoption search and reunion with lots of ups and downs, which we can get into. And Mm. at the end of the search... I started writing about my adoption search journey. So my husband's ultimatum turned into me becoming a writer and not realizing that the story I needed to tell about this search journey was going to help so many people like me, people from the closed adoption era who had no idea how to investigate who they are and where they came from and anything. And so the book that I wrote two years ago, Twice a Daughter, has helped a lot of folks, birth parents, adoptive parents, and adoptees like me. The next piece of that was my husband passed away a year and a half ago. And here's this person that launched my whole journey as a writer. I'm publishing a second book next week. It's a collection of essays. And he's not here to help celebrate this event. And I think that telling that little piece of the story I hope will help other people. I mean, there are other people supporting me now in this next phase of my life. And my husband lives on with my writer journey. I don't forget for a minute, any day that he's still part of what's happening to me. So there you go. Two WTFs in one conversation. (laughs) Julie, what I value so deeply is that you are able to be vulnerable about those pieces of you. We are always moving through what the F moments and sometimes they're big and life altering. And sometimes they're small, like someone cuts us off in traffic. People are on journeys of self-discovery and part of your journey of self-discovery started 
with a breast biopsy, which by the way, I have to tell you, gave me absolute chills because very few people know this about my personal story. But in 1999, I learned that I had a half biological sibling. And she was also from the closed adoption era. And my mother hid her pregnancy, Mm -hmm. literally took a cab to the hospital by herself, gave birth, came back and went back to work as if nothing had happened. And it wasn't until 1999 that my half sister found my mom through her own push, if you will, by someone else who was a dear friend who was actually dying of breast cancer and Mm -hmm. said, you've got to do this. You need to know your history. And so I come from that story from a different place. And Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, I used to work for children's services as an adoption worker. So I come from it from so many interesting places. I'm just so interested to hear your experience of sharing your journey and what has been the most pivotal pieces of your journey that you've shared that you've seen help others grow and understand themselves. There's two aspects to the answering that question. First, being an adoptee is one thing, but also being an identical twin was part of my story from the very beginning. We were adopted through Catholic Charities as infants And I have never known anyone else besides my sister. So I know that I'm very fortunate to have been adopted with my sister and to have my entire life. I grew up with a full sibling. So many adoptees are not afforded that privilege. And I am tremendously grateful for my sister every day. She went on this path with me. She agreed to do the search with me. We were alone every step of the way, cheering together when things were going right and really having a few glasses of wine when things were not going well. So I am grateful for having her in my life and I continue to be part of the things that I write about are about my sister and I kind of against the world. So that part is great. My adoption story is interesting in the sense that my parents, like so many in that era, had fertility issues And they adopted my sister and I, and then I have a brother two years later, they adopted. And then they had three biological kids. So I grew up in this crazy Irish Catholic family in Chicago with six of us, and they were wonderful parents. My mom is still living and my dad's not, but they didn't really draw a distinction between any of us, which is a good thing. So that's part of the answer to your question. What I think is really amazing is that you did have that partner in the search and to be able to have someone who is as invested as you are in the search and someone who is grounded, if you will, in the emotion of the search, the highs and the lows of it. Mm -hmm. And to be able to journey with your twin sister through is really quite spectacular. What was the process like and how did you get to that space of finding Got hooked up with a a very bad search agency that really did very little and took our money. And then I used a confidential intermediary through a government agency in Illinois. The laws were changing in 2011 when I got started down this path, fortunately for me. And so I had access to my original birth record. 
back then in the late 50s and 1960s, birth moms could use an alias and that was legal to be on the document. So Mm -hmm. when I did receive my original birth record, it wasn't her real name. My birth father's name also wasn't on there, which was also legal back then. And so to find her, we had to have our documents opened, which meant going to Catholic charities and having a judge and a court order. And fortunately, her real name was in there and she had an unusual name. So she was fairly easy to find. So within six weeks time, she had sent a note back to the intermediary. And that was another WTF moment because she basically said, I don't want to be found. And I don't want to be contacted ever again. So I have this health issue going on. I have no medical history and I have reached a brick wall. I turned to Catholic Charities. They have a very active post-adoption department in Chicago. And they had a support system in place with peer therapy. And I started going to these group meetings with other adoptees, but also birth mothers who were trying to connect with the child they lost to adoption and adoptive parents that were supporting their adult children through their search. And that conversation that we had, not every month, it was quarterly, allowed me to understand where my birth mother was coming from. Mm. It's like going to the movies and dropping in to the middle of the movie and you don't know how the first part of the show started. That was what happened. I literally dropped in my birth mother's lap without having any knowledge of what I was walking into. And so the knowledge that I got from my peers softened how I looked about it. I stopped feeling as sorry for myself. And as luck would have it, she got concerned about why I was contacting her at this point in my life. And she reached out to the intermediary and said, I'll supply the medical history. What is this about? What is wrong with one of my daughters? And that conversation, because the intermediary was a social worker and a professional, she turned that conversation from a request for information into contact. So within nine months time, we started exchanging letters and pictures. And then we met for the first time in the fall of 2010. And then we celebrated our first birthday with her when I turned 52, which was one of those glory moments that you never imagine that's going to happen. It was as fabulous as anything I could have imagined. Oh, Julie. So what you describe is the most beautiful essence of grace, and that is empathy. And that's that element of allowing yourself to step into the shoes of another and realizing that the chapters of your birth mother's life before are so unknown to you. There may have been multiple reasons and personal explanations that she had for herself in her reason for saying, I can't do this. And a big piece of that, that I've learned through my own experience and the experience of so many others is that deep feeling of shame. That's what I was going to say is she was locked into the social times that when we had been born, she was shamed by being an unwed mother that was not mm-hmm. anything resembling what it is today. And also the heartache of giving up not one, but two daughters and wondering about us for 50 years. Wow. What was it like when you met her for the first time? Did uh, both of you meet her together? 
Yes, we went to visit her together. Her obstacle had been that she had not told her husband that she married a little later in life about us. And as life always has those funny circumstances, he was a father of three adopted kids. So he understood from a different perspective what was involved. And he was very kind and loving and accepting. And yeah, meeting her for the first time, just have that imagination of what a significant person looks like that you never met. And she was all of that. She looks like my sister and I, a little bit tinier, really resilient and hardworking. And when my sister and I were growing up, we would fantasize and talk, oh, who do you think they were? What do you think happened? And we had developed this fantasy, which a lot of adoptees do. We fill in the blanks with the facts, with our own fantasy. And our fantasy was that our birth mom was the head cheerleader and our birth father was the star of the football team. And they had a little romance in the back of the car and they wanted to go to college and this just didn't work out for them. Well, reality was completely different. She was 26 years old. She oh. had a relationship with a coworker and a fellow teacher. Both were very educated but at that time in society, if you were Catholic, you married a Catholic. He was not Catholic and he didn't want to be a Catholic. And so they had obstacles from the get-go. They had religion, they had circumstances, and he chose not to marry her. And she ran off with a girlfriend to Chicago, lived in a woman's home. And much like you described, she probably jumped in a taxi and went to the hospital with this friend of hers. Wow. Yeah. Okay, because there are just so many interesting overlaps. One of the things that I have noticed in my relationship with my sister is that, and when I say my sister, she's this is my yeah, she's your sister. She's my sister. Is that when I learned about her before I met her, I was very curious about nature versus nurture. And she grew up in a really large family, but just always felt a little bit different from everyone else. And so they would say things like, oh, you must have come from a farm family because you are interested in gardening and canning. And when you cook a meal, it's like you're cooking for 20 people. You can't just cook a meal for five kind of thing. Some, and you love sewing. You must, these kinds of interesting things were like, oh, you must have come from a farm family. Or even some of her personality traits didn't seem like they aligned with her adoptive family. And so she, through her own life, had made up stories about her family and she had thought they'd be from a farm and these kinds of things as well. And it turned out that was the case, which is quite interesting. That's that nature versus nurture piece. Do you see some of those alignments around nature versus nurture in some things that are intrinsically, they seem almost biological in the way that you are like her, uh, not in appearance, but in behaviors or mannerisms? Definitely. I also grew up in a family, though, that was very similar to my birth mother's family. So my mother was one of 12, my adoptive mom, that is, and my birth mom was one of 13. Culturally, and because they were both German heritage, their personalities were similar. When we were growing up, people would say, oh, gosh, you look just so much like your mom. And inside, I'm thinking, no, I'm not biologically related to my mom, how could I look like her? But when I ended up meeting my birth mom and saw all the pictures of her when she was the same age as my mom, 
they looked a lot alike. And Catholic Charities was very careful about that, matching adoptees with the families that they were placing them into, because then you would look like you fit in, right? And so there was the, the stigma of this child doesn't belong to you or didn't belong to you in the beginning. So that has been astounding, the nature versus nurture thing. But I wanted to point out, I have a half brother and sister too, which I find, and I detail in my first book, Twice a Daughter. And so when he and my sister came into my life, the same conversation you probably had with your sister, I was curious, he was curious about me, like, what did I want? But he and I did DNA analysis and we were like 99% related. And he has a sense of humor that my twin sister and I have. Now, my other half sister does not have that sense of humor, but the three of us get each other. And that is that nature thing. He's also does a lot of writing. My twin sister doesn't do a lot of writing, but she's got other things that she does that aligns with all of us. I think it is fascinating that we have shared interests, shared values, some of which I know I got from the family I grew up in because they were very solid family values which has been an amazing thing to pass on to my own family. So it is an interesting, the nature versus nurture. Oh, it's absolutely fascinating. So you wrote the first book, Twice a Daughter, and then you decided there needed to be more. What was it for you that said there was more than twice a daughter in you? When you write a memoir, you have a framework of the inciting incident, and then you wrap it up. And There were a lot of things that I had to leave out of that book, a lot of struggles. I had some struggles with my adoptive mom over my search. She, for some reason, had a fear that she was losing me to my birth parents, which wasn't the case. I was 50 years old. How does that happen? And so there was some proving to her about that. So the second book, Belonging Matters, which comes out next week, is a collection of essays For example, there's an essay about the two difficult conversations I had with my adoptive mom about my search. There were several difficult conversations with my birth mom because she didn't want to tell anybody about my sister and I. We came into her life. We had a relationship with her and her husband, but she didn't widen that circle of who knew for quite some time. And that was getting to be a sticky point with my sister and I. And most of it had to do with my birth mom's shame. She just didn't want the scrutiny of her family and the judgment of her siblings over this event that happened so long ago. And she knew she would face that. And I respected that, but we were getting to that point. And so a lot of these essays have to do with adoption and the search process. For example, I never met my birth father. He passed on the information to my brother and sister that you have these two sisters. And yes, I was the father. He refused to meet us. Very difficult situation for all of us. My brother worked so hard with him to try to get him to change his mind, but he had a massive heart attack and died before any change happened. So there's an essay about that situation in the book. There's also essays about my family. My husband with my children growing up. So the book is about family and kinship and where we find that we belong. It isn't always our biological relatives where we find that we belong. There are other people we belong to. I had an, I'll call them an aunt and an uncle, but they were friends of my parents. Yeah. 
growing up, they had six boys and no daughters, and they loved my twin sister and I. They took us on vacation with them. So this idea of kinship, that we can belong to people that we're not biologically related to, informed a lot of the essays that I write about in this next book. I love that. Julie, as a former adoption worker, our job was always to match the children's families to the children. It was like we had to find the family that could meet the child's needs and that would be able to come together to create family and belonging. And the reality is that work for me personally felt very intense responsibly because you were literally building families. And I know that back in the 50s and 60s, there were so many times when those matches were made with less intentionality, if you will. And that sense of belonging didn't always exist for people. And that those layers of shame that you're talking about, again, for your birth father, we don't know what his story is entirely. Or maybe you do know what his story is. But it's so interesting that people can make such different choices and also recognize that the way that belonging comes together, whatever it looks like, does not have to be a biological experience. We can find belonging with those of biology, but also those not. I think about your birth mother and my biological mother and being in that space and that time and the deep levels of shame and how many women out there have had that experience of getting pregnant, choosing to keep it a secret, placing their child for adoption, And then closing the door on that piece of life because it felt like the safest thing to do. And now potentially are closer to the end of their lives and wondering, but also still sitting in that shame and fear and guilt. Yeah. I think because the shame percolates so much longer for someone that does not make connection with their birth relative for whatever reason, circumstances in their life, or just not being able to go there, it forms how they look at themselves. Still Mm -hmm. my birth mother, when my sister and I visit her, she won't let us sign in the guest registry at the senior center. She signs us in. And I don't know what she writes there. I'm pretty sure she doesn't write daughters, maybe relatives visiting. And because she's still in a bubble of her peers Mm -hmm. at the senior centers. And Those people have not changed their mindset. Society has changed their mindset, which is a really good thing for unwed mothers or women that choose to have a pregnancy and they're not married and it's their choice and they're not shamed like they were. But she's still stuck in the mindset that she grew up with and she's in this community with peers that have that same mindset. So I give her that piece. Go ahead, sign us in. I don't need to know what you're saying. We're able to have a a limited visit because I think she's under a lot of pressure to handle it respectfully with my sister and I, but also to be comfortable in her environment. It's a tricky thing. It really is. Going back to the piece of your half sister and my siblings, my relationship with them is so much stronger and beautiful than the one I have with my birth mom because of the obstacles she faces. My brother, we vacation together. I have a a book launch party this week. He's coming. My sister's coming. There's just so much love and joy in having each other in our lives, but we didn't grow up with the amount of shame about that. 
Right. Uh, it's not ours. It's we're not carrying that on our back. And that allows us to have a fuller relationship with one another. And it's wonderful. It's definitely the story of how we figure out our connection. Once we talk, and this is, I won't spoil the book for people that might want to read it, but there was an amazing connection between us that was a truly a God moment because no one could have figured that out. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. So no spoiler. We have to read the book. When will it be available? It comes out on Tuesday or Wednesday, the first, that oh. the collection of essays, the twice a daughter has been out since mother's day, 21. Okay. So now this one, your new collection of essays will be available on November 1st, 2023. Cause remember our podcasts are perpetual. There may be people listening to this podcast in six months or three years. And so they need to know that November 1st, 2023, it was available and it is worth getting and reading. I'm really excited to read it actually, because I think that there will be many layers that resonate for me and potentially for my mom and also my sister. And it's a curious thing, this whole course of adoption, especially in the closed adoption era. And that really does impact our own journeys of self-discovery. Julie, why I was excited to have you on the podcast is because the trifecta of joy is about awareness, befriending your inner critic and raising your vibration. And what you have done is navigated through your own awareness and the awareness of others, ways to help create more honor and empathy and love and presence for yourself and for your birth mother and for your adoptive parents and for your siblings. And the layers keep going, recognizing that everybody has their own boundaries. That's that really holding grace and respect for others in such a precious and beautiful way, because it helps them befriend their inner critic a little bit and be able to be a little more gentle with themselves when you can respect that. Yeah. And I would say the conversation, which is creating the awareness that you're talking about is really interesting and important. For example, I had a friend when I was going through this process of finding my birth relatives, Mm -hmm. uh, she was judging me because she felt that I was being disloyal to my adoptive parents by embarking on this journey. And we had to have a tough conversation about it. And I said, I'm not being disloyal. I'm trying to get my medical history and pass that on to my children. There is a breast cancer aspect in both sides of the family that I came to find out. But there are people out there that have an opinion and that are going to state their opinion without full knowledge of all the circumstances. And most adoptees, we do feel disloyal to our adoptive parents by going down this path. We've had good lives. You know, should we just wait and set that aside? Well, not everybody wants to set it aside. Some people really do need to know and want to know. And we're judging ourselves and the judgment of others for going down this path is really tough to take. So I urge all listeners to just take a step back, hear the story and make up your own mind after you've been informed. Oh, that's such an important reminder for us all. Julie, when I learned that I had a sister, we were literally sitting at the table at dinner. We were starting to do dishes. My mom was sitting there and all of a sudden she started to cry. And she said, I have something to tell you. And she started to cry. And I remember personally, I was so afraid. She was about to tell me she was dying. And the emotion was so intense and I was so scared. And then when she said that she had a child that she 
her words were gave up. I'm careful to use the words placed. Well, I think most adoptees from my era, we grew up with, I was given up for adoption. And so that's stuck in our brain. We try with the positive adoption language, but <laughs> we did give something up. <laughs> so there is that piece of it. There is that acknowledgement of it as well. When she shared with us that she gave up a child for adoption and that child had found her, I remember my reaction was like, oh, is that all? I was just like, oh, okay. Tell us about her. Right. Like I was just like, oh, like that reaction, I think was so important because yes, it was a shock and it came with all of my personal feelings of you don't understand our story up to this point either. Right. Like my adoptive sister, my adoptee sister didn't know. But at the same time, I was like, oh, this is something we can hold space for. This is something that we can open our arms to. There doesn't have to be a limit to her love or our love. Let's see where this goes. I'll be honest, it scared the shit out of me a little bit because it was like, wait a second, all of a sudden I became the middle child and who was this person? And there's that daughter complex. There's stuff that comes up. Right. And at the same time, love is limitless. I think that is the underpinning in all of it is that love is limitless. I remember when I told my younger brothers and sisters that aren't adopted Mm -hmm. that I was going down this path and I really was curious how they were going to react to it. Was it going to also be that loyalty question? Oh, you're being disloyal to mom and dad and they gave you this wonderful life and here you are searching for something else. They said, we're so glad that you are finding out all of the answers to who you are and making connection. Their answers, they were full of grace. And as it turns out, they did know my brother, but they didn't know he was my brother. Our paths had crossed and on a different plane, the knowledge of who he was, and they knew all about him already, allowed a lot of healing to happen right away. Wow. And I think too, for everybody, the healing happens at different points. For some, it's when you make that first connection. For others, it happens down the road. And really, the healing happens in the journey, whatever the outcome may be, in how we do allow ourselves grace in that process. And giving ourselves a space to be grateful for the moments that happen, and the learning and growing that happens in the process. And I can tell that for you, this has been such a learning and growing process And the insights that you've learned are something that you can offer to the world to help them navigate their own experience wherever they are connected in that adoption world. Yeah. And I think there's certain things that we're going along through life and we're maybe a little in denial. I was a little bit in denial about what all my adoption meant to me. And then all of a sudden you get hit over the head with it. And you start thinking about it and dissecting it and turning it over like a penny. And you realize, wow, I have not been honest with myself about this issue, nor have I given it the importance that I probably should have. And speaking out about that, some adoptees are what we call late discovery adoptees. They don't find out until their parents pass away and they find their adoption papers in a safe deposit box. I'm grateful that wasn't me, that I did know all along since I was a very young girl and my parents were willing to talk about it, but not on a regular basis. And so I think we come to knowing on our own terms and we can't really be pushed into 
delving into things until we're ready. And it's okay to wait for sure. Wait till you're ready to do anything that's going to challenge yourself psychologically when you embark on an adoption search or any kind of life journey that's important. Your life should be as less complicated as possible. And mine was, I was at a good place in life. My husband was healthy at the time. My kids were all leaving the house. I was looking for a project and I found my project in spades and it was the right time for me. But sometimes changing it up isn't right for everybody. And that's okay too. I know quite a few adoptees that say, I'm fine with the way things are. I don't want to complicate my life. That is the right decision for them. Not everybody has to go down this path. And And we can't judge those folks either. And that's exactly it. You come to your own knowing in your own journey of life. And then you invite others along. And sometimes that means letting go. And sometimes that means growing your circle. And I love what you said about your friend who was like, what are you doing? This is being disloyal to your adoptive parents. People can have an opinion on anything. And what we have to do is be recognized, okay, what is my knowing in this? It doesn't have to be conflictual. It's that trusting yourself to make that step, the next step that works the best for you. So Julie, I am so excited to share you with the world. If there was a final message that you could give to our listeners, what would you want them to take away and place on their hearts today? Well, I did a part, the one bit of knowledge, which was be patient, sit back and listen. But one of the things that I learned about this very rigorous process of finding my family or finding my secrets is never give up. There is always someone in your way. And if you are patient enough, you're going to figure out how to go around all of that and go right to the truth. Ooh, that's powerful. Oh, my friends, let that land on your heart. You will always find a way to the truth. Julie, thank you so much for sharing yourself, your heart, your story with the trifecta of joy in our audience. Friends, make sure you give a like and a subscribe to our channel and please leave a review. Julie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. It was a pure pleasure to meet you in person and to share all that we have in common. Oh, so incredible. Thank you, my friend. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Trifecta of Joy. You're awesome. We're awesome. And in this together, all my love. Thank you for listening, my friend. We are deeply grateful you chose to be here. I trust that this has invited you, even if in some small way, to deepen your awareness, befriend your inner critic, and raise your vibration. Please follow us, leave a review, and share this podcast with a friend. If you have any ideas or feedback, please reach out. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. You are loved.